while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. tonight i'm marcus chris he's chris and we're joined by state senator from methuen and candidate for auditor dina Desaglio. senator how are you i'm doing great thanks so much for having me here um so uh, thanks for coming in so um you uh, before we get started uh, if you'd like to just introduce yourself to the audience and um uh, tell us why you're running for auditor Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. It is great to be in New Bedford. I was here last night at the festival. Yes. Enjoying all the wonderful festivities. My name is Diana DeZoglio. I'm a state senator running for state auditor, by the way. Uh, And I was out last night with Representative Cabral and uh, a couple of different folks from the city council and school committee and got the opportunity to meet with some of the folks who organized the feast and to thank them for all of their great work. Please, if you go to the feast, if you see somebody wearing a T-shirt, any sort of volunteers, any sort of workers, make sure you say thank you because they have done a tremendous job putting on this amazing uh, event and um, drawing folks from all over uh, to come down here. I hail from the Merrimack Valley, North Shore region, uh, we can't all be perfect and be from the South Coast. Okay, I'm trying, I'm trying. But uh, I do come down here quite often, and I hail from uh, another gateway city, just like New Bedford's a gateway city. I hail from the great city of Methuen. And uh, actually, a little bit about myself. I was born to a 17-year-old single mother, grew up in the city of Methuen and Lawrence, housing insecure. We moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. I ended up graduating from the public school system there and going off to our local community college, which was an associate's degree. I was able to afford and obtain thanks to our state government's investments and families like mine. From there, I ended up earning scholarships to become the first in my family to graduate. And I ended up uh, actually going off to work in uh, various nonprofits. I served at a teen girls home. Uh, actually, prior to that, but I served at a teen girls home. I served at the United Teen Equality Center. I worked at Girls Inc. And I also simultaneously through those years, I uh, continued to do what I did to pay my way through college, which was waitress and clean houses. Right. Oh. Uh, as many of us who are working families know, we might love what we do for a day job, but it doesn't always afford us with the opportunity to live with a standard of dignity and the communities that we're working hard to serve in. So I was sort of juggling all these different positions, and it was during that time uh, that I was juggling that I got offered a job working at the State House in the House of Representatives. There was a state rep who needed somebody who spoke fluent Spanish. Y claro que hablo en español. Uh, huh? I needed a job that had health insurance at some point. Right, <laughs> so right. I uh, ended up going in and applying for the job, even though friends 
at that time in my life, this was many years ago, I had no idea what a state representative did. Legislature was not part of my vocabulary. The word constituent was not part of my vocabulary. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I've been such a passionate advocate for civic education in our public schools. But I ended up getting the job, and I went to go work at the state house, and I learned about all the great things that our state legislature can do, from investing in early intervention programs for kids, public education, public higher education, fighting for, you know, robust transportation system, making sure that we're fighting against the disease of addiction, for mental health services, for access to health care for all, fighting to make sure we have robust funding for our local senior centers and community centers and rec centers. I learned about all of these great things and much, much more. But I also learned about the flip side, about how our state government can operate when there's no accountability. I was a legislative aide. This was many years ago. I was a younger woman in my 20s at the time. And while I was working up on Beacon Hill, I was actually sexually harassed in our own House of Representatives. And the way that they thought it was appropriate at that time to make that harassment stop happening was to fire me. Really? And then require that on my way out the door that I sign a taxpayer-funded non-disclosure agreement paid for by all the folks listening just to collect my standard severance basic, basic severance package. This was not for some big settlement, not like right. it would have made it any better, but just to get a, a, a couple, you know, few weeks severance on my way out the door, I was f- forced to sign an NDA to get my severance package. Who forced you to sign it? Uh, the former Speaker of the House. Which was? Uh, that was Speaker Bob DeLeo. Okay. And um, I had some decisions to make. I ended up deciding that I was not going to let them get rid of me or keep me quiet. And I right. wasn't going to leave state government like they told me to do. I was instead going to run for state representative myself. And a little over a year later became the youngest woman serving in the House of Representatives at that time. And friends... When I got elected, I took that responsibility incredibly seriously. Uh, You just heard my story. You just heard what happened. I was, you know, uh, forced to sign that under duress, an NDA that was meant to prevent me from talking about literally anything I'd seen, witnessed, or experienced behind those closed doors on Beacon Hill among some of the most powerful politicians in Massachusetts. And I was back in the building, and I was now serving in an elected role, and I knew it was, first of all, the most incredibly humbling experience I was never planning on running for office, ever. Someone like me, you just heard where I came from, (laughs) and my family upbringing. To be someone like me in that seat, being able to represent multiple communities and thousands of people, and to have a voice on Beacon Hill, I really took that responsibility incredibly seriously, and I knew it was incumbent upon me to fight like hell for other working families in our communities who have also been dismissed, ignored, or disenfranchised for whatever reasons. Obviously not at all for the same reason as me, but for whatever reason. And I took on that battle regarding those taxpayer-funded non-disclosure agreements that silence victims of harassment, discrimination, and abuse of all kinds, and took on the Speaker of the House directly, went toe-to-toe with him and his leadership team on how we in state government are abusing the tax dollars of hardworking families in our communities yeah. to cover up these misdeeds, not just in our state house, but across our state government. We found out when I stood up and exposed that we were using these NDAs, we found out that hundreds and hundreds and, and maybe more actually exist across our state agencies. We knew that 33 at that time, we'd exposed that 33 existed just in the House of Representatives. Wow. And we mm. don't know what for still. <laughs> but then when we yeah. kept pushing, we found out that they exist in multiple state agencies. So I was so 
proud when I ended up moving to the state Senate to finally pass my bill to ban the abuse of these taxpayer-funded NDAs. And I need to give a shout-out to my colleagues in the Senate who are in this region who have both endorsed my candidacy in this race. They've worked alongside of me uh, for many years. I've been in the legislature now for 10 years fighting for transparency, accountability, and equity. And I have earned the support of Senator Mark Pacheco and Senator Mark Montigny. Right. Your Senator Montigny's here. a good friend. Yeah, a good yes, friend. Yeah, and yeah. Senator Montigny and, and Senator Pacheco, they have both uh, been extremely supportive of this legislation and both helped to pass this ban on taxpayer-funded NDAs. And we know that Senator Montigny, you know, in particular, has been a vocal advocate for sex trafficking victims. Yes. He's known for this at the right. State House. So for him to stand with me on this sex harassment issue, you know, as as a guy that's been there for a long time, yeah. I'm, I've been in the legislature for 10 years. I'm still the youngest woman serving in the really? Senate. Okay. Yeah. That tells you something about some of the demographics in, in the building, right? right? So for, for someone like Mark with his experience and with his knowledge and with, you know, um, how much work he's done on this issue, uh, for him to stand with me on this, um, you know, he was incredibly bold, passionate, and he's such a fighter. And you are so lucky to have somebody like him Absolutely, serving yeah. you in this community. He's awesome. And I'm so lucky to serve with him as a colleague, and I'm so grateful for his support, uh, not just on this issue, but like I said, on that sex trafficking issue and on, on other issues. And I just, I'm going to wrap this up right here because I want to get back to the point of the conversation. <laughs> sure. But I have to get off at a tangent about how great your senator is. But um, I need to say this we passed this in the state Senate. Thanks again to the support of our colleagues, but not everybody, friends, on Beacon Hill is a fan of transparency <laughs> and accountability the way that your senator is. There are some who have dug their heels in on the abuse of these agreements, on the abuse of your tax dollars, and they have blocked bills like this from getting across the finish line. We can't get this bill through the House. It keeps getting rejected by the current leadership team there, even though I know that your local reps have you know, tried to support and been great, and I have their endorsement as well. Representative Cabral has endorsed my candidacy. Representative Hendricks has endorsed my candidacy, and they've both been tremendous advocates, but the, the leadership structure is broken. And there are some who do not want to pass this legislation in the administration and beyond. And look, I've been fighting like hell as a state senator to pass bills into law to increase transparency, not just on this issue, but on issues across the board, you know, pertaining to how we delivered vaccines during the process and the no bid contracts that went out in the millions of tax dollars. You know, how much we're funding our education system with, how much, you know, we're spending on health care, all these different things. I've been fighting for access to information, transparency and accountability accountability around how how our tax dollars are spent. I've been calling for audits. I've been demanding investigations. But as your next state auditor, I won't need to keep calling for audits. I won't need to keep demanding investigations. I'll be able to take my 10 years of going line by line in that state budget, and I will audit, and I will investigate these matters and much, much more on your behalf. We're speaking with Senator Diana DiZaglio, candidate for state auditor. If you want to give us a call, you can at 508-996-0500. So that's actually a good segue, I think, because you've recently called for an audit of specifically of the legislature, and that created a little bit of... Um, I don't want to say controversy, but current auditor Suzanne Bump said that that's not possible. Uh, your opponent, who we just had on, said that's not possible um, because it's not specifically delineated in the law. Um, so if you if you get elected as auditor, do you think that you have the power to uh, audit the legislature, or is it something you're going to lobby for uh, to be written into law? 1,000%. 
We have the ability to audit the legislature. I've read the law. The law is clear. Okay. I've been in the state Senate. I've served in the legislature. And look, it's not been the most popular position to advocate for auditing the membership that you currently belong to. You can yeah. imagine I have lost a lot of endorsements over this. Right. And there are some yeah. in my leadership team. In fact, the majority of my leadership team has actually, I believe, now endorsed against me in this race. Um, and I believe that a lot of it has to do specifically with in the, the fact cur- In the current auditor. That I have been standing up and speaking truth to power, and I respect the work of my colleagues, but I don't think that we should be above the law. Right. I, you heard where I came from. I was never planning on running for office. Being a politician was not something I went to school for. Remember this. So I understand that there are some on Beacon Hill that are not a fan of my plan to, to, audit, to audit the organization that I currently belong to. <laughs> right, yeah. But I have seen the sex harassment. I've seen the toxic work environment. And I've experienced it firsthand as a staffer and as a senator. I can tell you, being a senator... I've experienced a very similar toxic culture to what I experienced as an aide. Not much has changed, unfortunately, regarding, you know, uh, the lack of respect and dignity for all workers in that building. And we have a lot of work to do, not just on that, but on transparency. Look, we're, we were working on, you know, an amendment for the, the Senate staffers who have been lobbying for um, a, a pay increase. And they finally just got one, right. you know, to be able to live with a standard of dignity uh, in the communities they work in. A lot of them were telling us, look, we're housing insecure. We're food insecure. We don't get health insurance for a couple of months. It's, it was the pandemic shutdown period, and some of our staff were going without health insurance, scared that they were going to get COVID and there were going to be problems. Imagine not having health insurance during the shutdown oh, period and, and having a full-time job. Right. So these were our staffers in the Senate, and they had lobbied us and said, look, we need representation. Well, when I went to go get access to how much we had in the budget to fund some of the requests that they were asking for, like basic access to health insurance on day one, like we as state senators get, okay? When I had said, hey, we get access to health care coverage on day one, why don't the staff get the same sort of access? Right. Uh, this is just something that, you know, we, we, we believe in workers' rights. We say we stand with workers, but yet our, our staff don't have the same right. access to the same rights. So I had made this case, and of course, having been a legislative staffer myself, this was personal to me. I remember what it was like. Um, and I remember bringing this to our leadership team and the response, uh, that we got was just pointed in all different directions on where to access how much we had in the Senate budget for staff salaries. And I said, can you just give me a number please about where it is so that I can know how, where the money is and I'll, I'll break it down myself or give me the spreadsheet and circle what the total is of how much we have left in the budget. Right could not get access to it. I kept getting pointed, well, you have to go to this place and go to that place and whatever. And I'm like, well, it's interesting to me because I feel like, you know, we would be able to get access to some things like this as state senators as a matter of transparency because it's the public's tax dollars. And, you know, we have decisions to make. How can we make decisions if we don't even know how much we have in the bank? Right? Right. Yeah. So I couldn't get access to that. And it was actually then that I started thinking, man, you know, we could really use some more transparency around this particular process. But then as things progressed and I eventually ended up running for, for auditor, I thought to myself, man, you know, that would be something that I would like to actually audit and look at. And I can tell you that there have been audits of the legislature in the past. There have been audits of the legislature in the past. It hasn't been for many years that it's been done, but it has been done. It's been done multiple times in the past years and years ago in the early 1900s. And there's no reason why we can't do that again. Now, look, there's nothing in the law that prevents the legislature from being audited. There's nothing that prevents it. And the pushback from the current auditor 
who, uh, you know, look, I understand that the legislature funds the current auditor's right. office, yeah. right? right? Exactly. And votes on her funding. Right. Yeah. So I can't imagine this is something that everybody maybe wants to do, uh, you know, to take on the legislature that votes for your funding. I think it's important that this branch of government's held accountable, though, like I said. But the the state legislature actually has been very clear in occasions where they have exempted themselves. For example, in the Senate statute for the Senate Oversight Committee, the Senate Oversight Committee cannot audit the legislature. It's very clear. The Senate, the the, the uh, legislature has been very clear in exempting themselves, like the administration has, from the public records right. law. Right. right? But there is no case in where the legislature has exempted themselves from an audit from the auditor's office. There's no case. And now the pushback has been, well, the other argument, once I said that argument, the pushback was, well, you can't audit the legislature because they're a different branch of government and the auditor's office needs to only focus on the executive branch because that's what the mandate is. And my pushback to that, with all due respect, is, well, the current auditor audits the judiciary all the time. Really? Yeah. Audits the courts all the time. And that's not a mandate. Right. And that's not part of the executive branch. And if we're going to say that there's a separation of powers and we can't audit a different branch besides the executive branch, then that would mean we couldn't audit the judiciary. Right? Right. So that argument's gone. Right. So we have all of these different arguments that have been thrown out. So let me ask you a question. Day one, is it the Senate or the House? What do you want it first? I will just tell you, (laughs) day one, I'm going to be getting to know the staff and saying hi to everybody. (laughs) Uh, And then I actually think my first order of business is to ask the National Association of State Auditors and the National State Auditors Association, if if I'm saying it backwards, excuse me right now, not really the best with the acronyms, but to have that association uh, audit my office to let me know what we need to do hmm. to make changes immediately and to see where there are challenges uh, that exist. But I can tell you, as far as the audit of the legislature goes, uh, I believe that the, you know, I'm not going to speak for you know any opponents or anything like that, but I, I believe up to this point, the reason why an audit hasn't been done and, you know, why some are vehemently opposed to it, um, that there are just excuses being made because obviously there are a lot of friends in the legislature. There are a lot of other politicians in the legislature. And obviously you're going to lose some endorsements yeah. when you say you're going to audit uh, some of your elected colleagues and, and friends in government. But look, this needs to get done. Again, when I ran for office, I did not run to go up to Beacon Hill uh, to make friends with everybody. I went up to Beacon Hill to make sure that our communities had representation, that they had a voice because I had experienced firsthand what it was really like in that building, what it was like up on the hill behind those closed doors. And I knew that our communities needed a voice and they still need a voice. But that's not going to happen unless we start holding our legislature accountable. And I am the only candidate in this race that's committed to do that. And one more thing about that. Some people say, well, you can't audit, and what if they say no? What if what if they prevent you from doing it and they block you from doing it? Well, I plan on taking them to court if they decide to block the audit that yeah. I am entitled to do through the it's powers of the office. It's a matter of statutory office. interpretation. And actually, I think if what you're saying makes perfect sense is if, they've, if they've specifically said where they cannot be um, audited right. in, in, in areas of the law and they don't mention it, and with respect to the auto, that, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Listen, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. If you want to call in, you can at 508 996 This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus, and we're here with Senator uh, Dinah DeZaglio, candidate for auditor. 1420 WBS. Sorry. 
It's all right. She's replacing bump. She's replacing bump. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no as long bump. As you all remember to go out and vote. Vote for the Italian woman from Mathua. <laughs> An Italian woman. I have a from lot of Mathua. vowels in my name, my friends. We have Democratic a lot in the audience primary, too. September sixth. Right? Remember the Democratic primary, September sixth. It's the amazing. Day right? after oh, Labor Day yeah. is coming right up. So this is a very, very important election. If we want to hold state government accountable regarding how your tax dollars are being spent, that you work very hard for. We need to make sure we get out and vote in this election. It's a very important one. So actually, speaking of that, Senator, um, the 62F law, mm-hmm. um, what is your opinion on its um, enforceability? And um, do you think that the taxpayers of the Commonwealth are owed some money from Beacon Hill or from the state government general? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. I voted for a tax rebate package and actually fought for the tax rebate package to be expanded for our low-income workers in our communities. Uh, We had brought up a bill and... Long story short, uh, those who make under $38,000 a year were left out from being able to get a tax rebate. I found that unacceptable. And I pushed and I pushed uh, for that to change and for folks to... Uh, who make under $38,000 a year also get a tax rebate. These are our low-income families, working families who are you know, most in need of these rebates alongside of the rest of the working families who deserve their tax rebates. Uh, but beyond that, look, there was an issue that came up for the listeners um, just for just to explain what's happening to folks who might not have you know, been able to follow what's been going on in the news. Uh, there was an issue with uh, Chapter 62F of the laws that... Um, was actually potentially triggered uh, that would mandate that $3 billion come back to our local communities in the form of a tax return of some sort. This was something that was caught um, caught Beacon Hill leaders off guard uh, in you know the last days of the session when folks were wrapping things up. Um, I believe that, you know, we should have gotten a lot of these bills done a lot more quickly than we did. I think that, you know, legislative leadership needs to uh, do things more in a timely fashion and not last minute during the middle of the night. I have repeatedly said this through the years. Uh, But in addition to waiting to the last minute and the procrastination that we saw in the legislative process that contributed to, you know, the confusion around this and many other issues um, was... The fact that, you know, this wasn't something that was brought up before those last final minutes. Um, you know, this was something that was brought up only during, the, you know, the last, um, you know, opportunities for, for debate around the issues that, that we were potentially going to pass. And legislative leaders felt caught off guard uh, because they weren't made aware that this was a potential issue. And when you're budgeting for the entire state, obviously you need access to information, right? So, look. As a, a legislator, you know, I was advocating for the passage of the tax rebates and advocating for working families to get the money back that you deserve. Gas prices are out of control. Inflation is up. People are struggling. Working families need support. But in this 62F provision, you know, I did some digging and I did some research after pulling that all night or the other night while I was up and yeah. uh, taking my votes and not getting any sleep. Um, I actually fell asleep for a couple of minutes there and I thought I missed a vote. I woke up and called my colleagues frantically and luckily I didn't miss anything. But um, I actually did some research, you know, and used that time. And I found out that actually the state auditor is uh, required to produce an annual report uh, on the revenues that are coming in and has largely a confirmatory. She confirms 
the reports that others do. Uh, the um, Revenue Commissioner actually comes out with uh, their report on mainly a quarterly basis. They give that report actually to the comptroller of the state uh, who receives that quarterly report. And what I found out is actually that the state auditor sits on the comptroller's advisory board, which meets four times a year. We're going to assume that's quarterly, right? Right. Um, So they meet four times a year, and the comptroller has this report given to them on a quarterly basis. Right. So since the comptroller has quarterly revenues given to them on this quarterly basis and the auditor sits on the comptroller's advisory board four times a year, I said, well, maybe the auditor should start uh, pushing, not, you know, for moving forward. Obviously, this current auditor is on her way out, but the next auditor, hopefully it's me, I've committed to pushing to bring up those quarterly revenue reports at those meetings for a discussion and put it on the agenda for those meetings. Now, the uh, treasurer's office is there and other offices are there as well that have uh, the ability to oversee finances in the state. Um, And I just think that, man, if if that was happening on a quarterly basis, which is standard accounting practice to do these quarterly reviews, uh, if that was happening according to standard accounting practice quarterly, maybe this wouldn't have caught everybody off guard. It wouldn't have. Maybe, it wouldn't have. right? If if folks were talking about it, if it right. was, wow, look, you know, our revenues are up by three point six billion dollars. It's fascinating you know? that that it, that it allegedly caught everybody off guard, isn't it? It is yeah. frightening, really. And, you know, there, there's a communication issue there, right? Yeah, and there's an oversight issue. Right. And obviously, we need leadership on this. And that's, look, people talk to me all the time, and they're like, why auditor? And I'm like, because, look, I've been working in the legislature. I've been experiencing these things firsthand alongside of the residents in my communities who have been highlighting their concerns and their challenges and their issues. And being up all night, I mean, that experience, I can tell you, having gone through it as a senator, we did not have the information that we needed right. to. And yeah. legislative leaders could not make a decision based on facts about how much revenue was going to come in or not come in or go out or not go out. And I just think that, look, I'm running for this seat and we have an opportunity to bring the work of the auditor's office to the next level, not to keep the status quo. The status quo is meet once a year. Look at the report. Do the job that you're mandated to do, right? I keep hearing about what the auditor's mandated to do. Great. You have a mandate. But that's the bare minimum. We need yeah. to start talking about the ceiling, not the floor of the position. It's all well and good to do the basics of the job that right. you're required to do by law. It's another thing to look at the office as an opportunity to bring bold and meaningful change for working families who are tired of the status quo, who are tired of things like their tax rebates that they were supposed to have getting held up because there wasn't appropriate communication on Beacon Hill right. and because our systems are broken. Right. Somebody needs to start saying these things. People are suffering right now. And it's unacceptable that this hasn't been addressed yet. So I plan on taking the work of the auditor's office to the next level, doing these quarterly reviews and making sure that we have as much access to information as is humanly possible in a timely fashion so these things don't happen again. We're speaking with Senator Diane Desaglio. Diane, if people want to learn more about your campaign, what's your website? 
www.dianaforma.com. So, uh, Senator, you, you were talking a little bit earlier about your uh, endorsements. Um, Senator Mark Montigny, again, great friend of ours, friend right. of the show. Uh, Chris Hendricks, another great friend of ours. Uh, I was talking to Ian Abreu today, and he was um, he was he was excited to endorse you as city council president. Well, we haven't released it yet. Well, he he, he texted oh, no. me. You just he texted the cat out of the Oh bag. no, he, he no, oh he texted me. He says I officially. <laughs> I'm just, di- he, I'm, I'm just oh, telling I'm just you, kidding. Ian jumped the gun. I'm totally, I'm totally, I'm totally <laughs> That's a very good endorsement. Totally messing with you. I'm so Ian. proud to have your city council president's endorsement. Yeah. It means the world to me. Right, number one vote getter in the city. He's he's amazing. Look, I, I went to his event the other day. Man, that thing was packed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It always he's is. done a lot of good in this community, and I'm I'm very humbled to have his support and grateful for the opportunity. And you know, we've talked about gateway cities. You know, I mean, New Bedford. Lawrence, right? I grew up in Lawrence. I grew up in Methuen, both gateway cities. We have, you know, a struggle with, you know, getting equal opportunity for for great education for our kids in our communities, getting access to the robust funding that we need to fund our roads, our bridges, our infrastructure projects. It's a challenge battling for those resources, right? So, you know, this is why... Um, Representative Cabral and Hendricks and uh, Senator Montigny have also endorsed us because we've been working on these gateway city issues together for 10 years, trying to get these important resources back to our communities and, you know, taking on that battle together up on Beacon Hill. But I can tell you, look, um, as far as working families are concerned, you know, in, in, in the Commonwealth, I think that, you know, we need to make bold changes. That is why I'm running for the auditor's office. Folks need a voice and they don't have one right now. And I think it's incredibly important that, you know, we understand the candidates and we understand the differences. Um, I'm the only candidate in this race, once again, who's committed to auditing the legislature. That's a big deal, right? What do you think you'll find? You know. What do you think you'll find? (laughs) You you know. (laughs) You know what you're looking for. You're there. You're there now. What are you going to find? I can tell you that I'm going to look for opportunities to get more transparency around how much we have in funds, first and foremost. And I need to be clear, too. Um, I'm looking to do an audit of the legislature, uh, not to find anything specifically. I'm looking to do an audit of the legislature so that we can help the legislature work more efficiently and effectively for the the folks in our communities. This is not like, oh, we're going to go in there and I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. What I'm looking for is transparency. What I'm looking for is accountability. And I just simply think that none of these agencies should be above the law. That's it. Every other agency gets audited. The legislature should be audited too, right? Our elected officials should be audited too in that way. So that's all I'm saying. There's no, you know, we're going after this, we're going after that. We're going after transparency, folks. That's what we're going after. And people have a right to know because it's their tax dollars. So let me ask you a question. When you're done with the audit, will, will you be sending it to the media first or to the attorney general's office? (laughs) <laughs> Let's get started with just the process. Let's okay. get started with just the process, my friend. All right. um, again, we're looking for transparency here. But I think it's important, too, to talk about some of the other things. Look, we talked about these NDAs, and let's talk about some of the differences in this race. I have committed to conduct a full audit of the abuse of NDAs across our state government. Tell me what that out. means so they understand. So non-disclosure agreements are what I talked about. I was... Um, told to be quiet with from the former Speaker of the House. Non-disclosure agreements are, ta- are taxpayer-funded in this state through state government. They can be used in the private sector as well, but I'm running for auditor, so I'm talking about tax dollars sure. right now. Taxpayer-funded non-disclosure agreements can cover up misdeeds by powerful politicians or other people in government using our tax dollars. 
Now, I know those listening at home work really hard for their tax dollars. And I'm sure that we all, as workers, do not want our tax dollars to go towards protecting the reputation of powerful politicians or others in power who might be engaging in activities uh, that they may want to cover up. We certainly don't want to be footing the bill for those things. And we also certainly don't want to be silencing victims about harassment if they happen to have a disability, if they happen to be a member of the LGBTQ community, if they happen to be a person of color or any other marginalized population that's disproportionately impacted by these silencing tactics that can cover up harassing, discriminatory, or abusive behavior in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I know folks, for the most part that I've spoken with, strongly agree with those things, but yet in state government, these things continue to occur. And that is why as the next state auditor, I'm going to do an investigation and an audit of how much in our tax dollars has been used to foot the bill for things like non-disclosure agreements that cover up abuse and protect perpetrators of that abuse. That is unacceptable that we do that, and I'm the only candidate in this race that's committed to conducting an audit like that. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Yeah, Marcus, uh, it's Don calling back again. Quickly, regarding uh, the audit of the various agencies, I'd like to point out that in a constitutional republic, that which is not delegated to the government is not allowed. So, in other words, what I'm saying is is that if there is nothing in the Massachusetts Constitution that says that various government agencies cannot be audited, they can be. Because that privilege of not being audited is not in the Constitution. Well, thank clear. you. Thank you so much for that. We will take that and add that to our, our comments. Thanks for the I call, Don. I appreciate sir. it. Hey, listen, we got to take a break, and we'll be back. This is uh, South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus and Senator Dinah DiZaglio. 1420 WBS. In the off-air dialogue for the off-air podcast that we didn't tell us to the senator about, but I'm just kidding, um, that I forgot to play the bumper music again. But we're speaking with uh, State Senator Diana DiZaglio from Methuen. She's running for state auditor. Um, So we talked about um, so you talked about um, a lot of the gateway city issues that um, that you're familiar with, that you're that you're caught that have. that have led to a lot of our our local elected officials endorsing you in this race. So how as auditor can you help uh, issues like New Bedford's or Lawrence's or any gateway city's um, housing crisis? Yeah, look, as someone who grew up housing insecure, this is an incredibly important issue to me. Look, when I was housing insecure when I was a kid, it was because of my family's personal situation, Right. right? Like our financial situation. My mom was a teen mom. She was a nurse's aide. Uh, you know, we struggled. Sure. And that was due to our personal circumstances. Now we have cases, guys, where there are folks working multiple jobs with multiple incomes coming into their household, and they're still in fear or in danger of losing their homes. Right. And they are experiencing housing insecurity. That is unacceptable. You know, folks should be able to live with a standard of dignity in the communities that they're working in. And as senator, I have stood with my colleagues in your area, New Bedford and the Gateway Cities Caucus, to stand for policies that would help 
you know, create housing opportunities in our communities and make sure that we are creating housing that's affordable for the average working family. Uh, we've looked at things like, you know, uh, transit-oriented housing, and we, we you know, fund CDBG block grants and all these different things, so on and so forth. And I could go list through all these different things, but as it pertains to the auditor's office, I've committed to... Uh, taking a look at the Department of Housing and Community Development and conducting audits of the ARPA funds that are going out and looking at community development block grants, looking at transit-oriented housing, and doing some qualitative and quantitative audit. We talk about the money all the time. A lot of folks think when they hear the word auditor, first of all, it's never like a fun conversation whenever you walk up right. and you say, you know, I'm running I'm running for auditor. What's People that? look and they go they look and they go, Well don't audit me. Right. And it's, right. it's actually really yeah. funny and I and I and I get a I get a, a, a kick out of it. But um, the state auditor doesn't audit, you know, people. The state auditor audits the state government to make sure that the state government right. is spending your money appropriately. So you have tax dollars, you pay the government those tax dollars, and the state auditor is responsible responsible for making sure that those tax dollars are being spent wisely. But something else uh, is always missing from this conversation that I find out that, that folks don't seem to know about, right? You think money when you think auditor. Auditor is actually the state's chief accountability officer. She's the one that's the government watchdog. She speaks truth to power. Think of it like a quality control manager, and you have a conveyor belt, right? And somebody's standing there on this conveyor belt line with a product. Let's say it's you know one of these one of these coffee cups, right? right. And you have a bunch of coffee cups going going down a conveyor belt, and you check and you inspect each one. You pick one up, you put it down. They all look good, but you know then you find a hole in one of them. Whoops! Okay, this one's not okay. How much is this happening? Is this just this one cup or is this like the next 10 cups? And you use this um, process to identify where the gaps are and to make sure that the product is coming out efficiently and effectively. Well, that's sort of what the state auditor does. The state auditor looks at state agencies and looks at the processes and the procedures that they have uh, within those state agencies like DCF, for example, and make sure that those processes and procedures are working effectively and efficiently. It's not just about the money. I just want to talk just for a second, Marcus, if I can, sure. about DCF. Yeah, Department I was, was going to lead with Department that. Department yeah. of Children and Families, right? And thank you. Sorry, I get ready to ask something. Yeah. I've, I've, so as just as someone who's worked in public interest law, it's a, it's a, it's a miserably run organization, frankly. So the Department of Children and Families, though we have so many amazing workers that work yeah. over there, the social workers sure. and the people that go into it for all the right reasons, they're working in the trenches, they're trying to help these kids, they're trying to help these families. We need to make sure that we're fully funding these departments so that they're adequately trained, so that they have adequate resources, so that they can do their jobs efficiently and effectively. And the auditor can play a role in looking at that. But something else that the auditor can do that's more in terms, more in line with this quality control conversation, right, is she can do a performance audit, a qualitative audit, in addition to the quantitative audit looking at the money and the resources, a qualitative audit that looks at the process and the procedures that are in place. We know that during the shutdown, we lost a, a, a young man, David Allman was his name, tragically during the shutdown period of the pandemic where DCF actually knew that the child was being abused in the home. Uh, they knew that it was physical abuse still put him back in the home. He was not checked on. The, there were, the ball was dropped, and this child ended up losing oh, his life. That was in Fall River, wasn't it? 
Was that the Farva case? You know, there's unfortunately, there's too many of them. Yeah, unfortunately, right, there's too many yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an isolated case at all, Diana. Right, and this child ended up losing their life, right? Yeah. That tragedy needs to be prevented as much as is humanly possible moving forward. We need to do everything we can to stop that from happening again. And I want to use the power of the office to do everything we can to try to help in those circumstances, to do qualitative audits that can look at that type of a case and go in and open that up because the auditor has the power to open up some of these different things and take a look at what happened and try to help identify where the breakdown occurred alongside of folks in organizations such as the Office of the Child Advocate, whose role in their organization is to you know, hold the administration accountable in, in DCF in particular, but they don't have all the resources in the world to be able to do all the work that they need to do. They need a partner in their work. So I want to partner with these independent agencies who are, you know, the government watchdog organization, so to speak, and ask them, look, you know, you're the experts. Where do we need to look using the power of the auditor's office to get into these state agencies to make sure that we have the most accountable system for families in need so that it's functional for these families who need it to be functional? We're speaking with State Senator Diana DiZaglio. Diana, if people are inspired by you right now, how do they get involved in the campaign? Where do they get more information about you? Please go to www.dianaforma.com, and you can find volunteer opportunities there. Uh, Ian has a bunch of signs that I'm sure he's happy to give out. I gave him about 50. <laughs> great. If you want to help take some of them off of Councilor Ebro's hands, that will be uh, great for him. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus, and we're here with uh, State Senator Diana DiZaglio, candidate for auditor. 1428. Um, Marcus and Chris here with State Senator Diana DiZaglio. And so, um, Senator, I have a question for you about, um, of course, you talk, it is a lot about the money, right? It is a lot about the money. And um, one of the components involved is, is you audit the different financial burdens that cities and towns have mm-hmm. because of the state laws. Mm-hmm. What One of the biggest one, of course, is pensions. Um, they're, they're earned and they're deserved, but there, there is some request for for to make changes make reform and pension reform what's your philosophy on that what would you do with the auditor's office to help cities and towns look i think it's about shining a light on what's actually going on in the pension fund to make sure that our legislators can do their job and so that they can take these votes right so uh you know there there were a lot of different votes that were taken uh, years ago on pension related issues and the such And I think that the next time that legislators come around to these different issues, they're going to need to make sure that they have all of the information at their hands. So I would just say just looking at it and working to make sure that we're opening up the books, that we're making it as transparent as possible, that folks have the information that they need to make the decisions that they need to meet, that they need to make at the time they need to make it. That's what it's going to be all about. Plain and simple. And by the way, just to go back to the DCF conversation, because I it was I got a text from somebody in uh, local law enforcement. Okay, it was someone from Farver, and it was an uh, an autistic uh, someone on the autism spectrum. Actually, that's why I remembered it. You right. know, so it, it's right. very salient for me. Terrible, so. terrible. The um, Diana, you are not running for re-election to the Senate. You're giving up. And you just a, a got elected. Safe, a safe Senate seat. Yeah, you would have been re-elected to the Senate had you decided not to just give it up and run for the auditor. It's quite, quite a lot of guts, really, to be giving up a safe political seat, which isn't something people generally do. 
Look, I people have said you burned the bones. You know, do you have a lot of guts? <laughs> yes, the other day. Burned I, the bones. I would say, yeah. <laughs> I would say, thank you for the compliment. Um, I, I take that as a compliment. Of course, it is. But I would say, um, when I found out that the seat was opening up, it was, um, I, I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. Right. Because I've been serving in the legislature for these ten years. I worked as an aide previously. I've been championing various bills and pieces of legislation and funding opportunities for our communities and been successful in a lot of those different areas and and gotten to help my community in a tremendous way but when i found out that there was an opportunity to bring that work to the next level in a big way Mm -hmm. regarding the things that i've been most known for uh, transparency accountability equity issues i i decided you know this is what i need to do and i felt it and i did a lot of soul searching because you're right look i'm i'm single i don't have a second income coming in uh this is what i do i i'm a full-time legislator i i do this job and serve my community but i will tell you um you know we talk about the housing issue look i'm a state senator and i have three housemates right <laughs> to, right. to, to help pay my mortgage. Yeah. Okay. To live in the community that I serve in. And people look at me and say, well, you're a senator. And I go, look, just because you read about me in the newspaper does not mean I'm independently wealthy. Right. Right. I got elected to serve. Um, you know, I, again, born to a teen mom, waitressed my way through college, got some scholarships and, you know, I'm able to give back to the community in this way. And I'm incredibly humbled, but I will tell you, yes, it was a tough decision in my mind but in my heart, so I knew running, I had to do this. You're running for the Democratic nomination. If so if that means people have to vote for you in the primary to get you to the final. How do they get in touch with the campaign? www.dianaforma.com or you can call 978-984-7747. Call your neighbor, too. Call your neighbor. He's he'll help. always he'll right. always pick up. He'll help you. <laughs> so, uh, State Senator Dinah Desaglio, candidate for auditor. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. And uh, I thought it was a really um, interesting, yeah. and 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 fun interview. Absolutely. So, um, I might have actually closed a little too early. So you've got about 30, 40 seconds. I'm running to make sure that working families like ours have access to and accountability from our state leaders, regardless of our family background, our bank balance, or our zip code. For as forward-thinking as Massachusetts residents are, like all of those listening, our state government continues to be ranked by almost every good government group as the least transparent and accessible state government in the nation. We need to change that, and I will be an auditor who will open up state government to the people. I will be the people's auditor. My name is Diana DiZoglio, state senator, running for state auditor. I hope to have So will you make a commitment to come back if you win the, win the office Absolutely. to tell us about your audit? All right. I'm down here all the time anyways. All I'll right, just great. stop in. <laughs> great. Great. We appreciate <laughs> that. You. Thank you very much.